Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Traders of Money brought to you by Trade Delicious. My name is Jordan Mellon, and I'm very, very excited to bring a familiar face to you. Not only an avid trader and investor, someone who is fantastic at communication and extracting information from people, um, but also a, a colleague here at Trade Delicious. Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Collier. How are you doing, Aaron? Good. Good. How are you, my friend? How are you doing well? Good, I'm good. Now, I'm always curious to ask this question because it's a unique situation yeah. you're sitting in right now. You're usually this side of the camera, right? And That's I right. know yeah. as someone that does both sides, there's a lot more intimidating being that side of the camera. How are you feeling? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, the, the anxieties, the anxieties are up there. Uh, in anticipation <laughs> for this, I ran a mile and... Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so we're we're definitely a little nervous, but excited. It's always fun to be here. Always share stories, right? Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, let's begin. Obviously, most people know you from from Trade Delicious. Here, you've you've been on screen a, a little bit here. Um, where did this all come from? Let's go way back when, right? Where where did Aaron Collier begin his life, and and when did investing start becoming prominent? Awesome. So there, uh, I'm 14. And uh, my father hands me a book. Um, I believe it was either about or by Peter Lynch. I, I, I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to say the exact mm -hmm. name. Um, for those that don't know, Peter Lynch, very, very, very prominent, very, very successful investor, trader, etc. Incredible human being. Um, in it, I, I learned a little bit about stock trading. And then uh, my, my father invites me to a board game to play. It's, it was called Billionaire. And in it, you're, the whole thing is just imagine a monopoly, but instead of just real estate, you have the option to own real estate, uh, buy bonds, buy stocks, et cetera, in order to create uh, the wealthiest uh, household you can by the end of the game. And I was really good at winning. For some reason, I was a really good stock picker at 14, although I had absolutely no idea <laughs> what I was doing. So I... I my dad tells me, you know what, you should become a stockbroker. Uh, when I looked up what a stockbroker does, I, I threw up and said, there's no way. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I just kind of proceeded with my life. Uh, in truth, you know, I, I had always wanted to be an architect. Um, and funny enough, I, I knew that architecture would be kind of a passion project. And I'd make my money through the markets in some capacity, intuitively, um, because architects comparatively – don't make much money. Um, you know, the I say comparatively because the amount of schooling and licensing that you need is very similar to professions like that of a doctor or like that of a lawyer. You know, you can't mm -hmm. just get your architect's license, at least here in the States. Here in the States, you have a minimum of five-year bachelor's degree coupled with two to three years of additional licensing. And then you can become a licensed practitioner as an architect. And uh, at that point, you're most likely designing bathrooms. And I know that that sounds super exciting. But that wasn't super exciting to me. So, you know, my sophomore year of school, I leave in order to kind of pursue more of what I thought would be true to form. And in many ways, that's that's the market. That was uh, six years ago now. And um, I've been trading ever since. It's a real passion. It's a real love of mine. I've got, I've got a fair few follow-on questions from everything. <laughs> First thing we're going to lead with is are you as good at picking stocks as 14-year-old yourself on the billionaire game? Absolutely not. Uh, that kid was amazing. <laughs> um, you know, I, I had always I'd always really wanted 
to to say like man I'm, i i did, i was able to pick apple i was able to pick a b c and you know what i actually did make a couple really great calls um but they were calls that you would expect man i was i was 14 so i'm i'm 27 now so that's 13 years ago and i tell my father to put every dime mm. he has into apple why did i do that because i thought the whatever the iphone that that you could that, that wasn't a phone it was just the iTouch like the the MP3 player or whatever I thought that thing was fantastic and I thought that it was going to change the world what did I know at fourteen I that I ended up being right but that was one hundred percent a guess you know and as you learn more about what an actual good stock pick is as you understand what an income statement is in the collection of financial statements your balance sheet as you begin to understand what a what a debt to income ratio is and everything like that it, things become a lot muddier. <laughs> now it's really easy, you know. It's really easy to say. Of course, Apple was a great pick. They're they're the only company worth over two trillion dollars market cap, and they have you know several hundred billion dollars on hand. That that sounds like a great investment for anyone, right? But it's it's always harder to be forward thinking than it is backward thinking. So going back to to fourteen year old self, your dad's handed handed yeah. you this. Were, were you an avid reader at fourteen? Was it? Were you, were you always reading books? Yeah, I'm a nerd, man. Professionally, professional nerd. Very good <laughs> at it. Um, you know, much better nerd than I am trader. To be honest, I I always wanted to uh, be the person that had a very large library. E- even now, I, mm. I absorb and eat through books. Uh, Admittedly, you know, I, I live in a pretty small space, live in a little studio in Washington, D.C. Now, I don't necessarily have the room for as many of my books as I would like. So I have been doing a lot more like audio books and, and a lot more digital books. But I love the feel of physical pages and I always have. So at that time, I was reading a lot of books that were um, just, just kind of nerdy. I really wanted to understand what mortgage rates were and what that actually meant. I was reading a lot on interest rates at that time. Uh, I was reading a lot about the beginnings of different companies, a lot of autobiographies. And uh, so this book from my father was just a, a normal gift by virtue of the fact that I, I loved reading. So I had far too many books that I could even even read. Even now, I still haven't gotten through the, the books that he gave me. I have probably a few hundred. <laughs> As, uh, were, were your parents investors did they have any exposure to uh investments or or even the stock market prior to to you getting into the into the world of investing absolutely zero it was great um so my dad my dad you know it we i grew up in this portion of my life i was in philadelphia philadelphia is a beautiful city with absolutely horrible conditions right so um the houses are incredibly cheap so he had three or four houses and that's that always sounds really great to say until you find out all the houses were like twenty thousand dollars. They were all really rundown mm. projects. That, <laughs> yeah. uh, some were successful, some were were not so successful. Um, but he always knew he wanted to to be an investor. He wanted the same for me. So I was the, more so the person that was keen on the stock market. Uh, my my dad and, and those around me, like like many others, they thought it was risky and. They didn't think that it was necessarily a, a safe place to put your money because let's face it, you know, 2008 was a hop and a skip away. So this was 13 years ago. This was 2010. We had just seen one of the worst crashes that we had seen in decades. 
So it was not something that a lot of people were very comfortable with, which is incredibly ironic because I've been trading for six years now. My mother started trading two years ago and my father started trading three years ago. So it's, it's certainly become more of a family business now, but it certainly wasn't that way when things started out. Oh man, I'm jealous of the amount of times I tried to get my family involved in investing. <laughs> it just doesn't go. There's the same thing that that risk assess. Now I I come from a very similar background of uh, no financial in any aspect. I go back in the family tree, nothing. No one got in, and then out I popped and went, "Yep, let's let's do this." Um, it's it's strange. Yeah. It's I found it rather frontiering um did you feel the same thing kind of kind of leading the way into that market learning like you got no one to to learn from right you had to go out and you had to grab this knowledge yourself because there was no one to mentor or teach you from from a family perspective did you get the same feeling moving into the stock market well well jordan that's a that's a great question my my thing has always been you know i i have to lead the way for for those that I care about. I'm the eldest of five, right? And um, I always wanted to to make sure people were appropriately taken care of. And um, and I always want I always knew that I was going to be a person that was going to work in some capacity from home so that I could do what I needed to do with my family. I've always wanted to have a ton of children. My wife may not necessarily agree with that. We're probably maxed out of two. <laughs> but um, I knew that I wanted to be like super, super present for my kids. And I knew that there would be a, a vehicle like markets, which I was already so passionate about. I knew that that could be a really great vehicle to start something in. So I did feel a frontiering feeling later on in my trading career, probably three years in when 2020 rolled around. But the reality of it is when I started, I was too dumb to realize what I was trying to, what, what road I was going down and, and how much of a frontier it would be. So I didn't even recognize the, the fact of what I was doing. It's quite ironic. 2020 rolled around. Um, yeah. Obviously, 2020, 2021 in terms of the markets wasn't great. In terms of, of global pandemic wasn't great. Um, where were you positioned during this time? Is this something, were you short-term day trading? Were you more long-term avid investing? How did you react to, to those conditions? Yeah, so obviously, I'm, I'm a huge macroeconomic person, right? So every time there's something macroeconomic happening, I'm super interested in that particular narrative. Uh I was short, man. I love being short and I was short day trading. So at that time, 2020, and even now, I found that statistically, I was a much more successful trader when things go south in the markets. Um, in a way that's in a way that's kind of sad, of course, you know, people are losing money. But as, as a trader, we take advantage of whatever opportunity is afforded to us, right? There's always a great saying in trading that, you know, the markets go up the stairs, but it goes down the elevator. And so I was very, very keen on trying to get in and out of the markets very quickly. So March rolls around 2020. Things are going absolutely ballistic to the downside. In futures markets, at the very least, we're getting limit downs where they have to stop market trading from happening. And as the market's getting stopped, I'm holding short positions. So I was doing fantastic. Um, but, you know, the big, the biggest thing about trading, especially really early on in your career, like you were saying, without that kind of mentorship, without a team behind you, unfortunately, this very individualistic sport can allow you to lose your humility 
and your understanding of what it actually means to be a trader. What I mean by that is there is a necessary humility to do this thing. You have to understand that even if you are the best, I'm talking you are Warren Buffett at picking stocks and you are Ackman at picking long-term positions, you can be the greatest, but the market will always humble you in one way or another. So I made a ton of cash in March 2020. And then I proceeded to lose almost every dime of it in the course of, I think it was like 10 days or some nonsense, all because I was too arrogant to understand that you know these things, even though my strategy was working, even though I was performing well, there's more to trading than just understanding which direction things are going to go. You have to be able to change and ebb and flow as the market changes and ebbs and flows. I hope that answered your question. I feel like that was a really roundabout answer. No, it does. It does. And it brings up a lot of follow-on. You're right. The the humility aspect of trading will always humble you. Um, some people somehow still go on with egos uh, that I notice, and I'm very impressed by how they managed to do that. Um, but but what I also found really interesting is obviously you're contrarian in that aspect. You make a lot more money when you're shorting or, or when we're having the, the fear-mongering times, right? When the stock markets start to come down. I'm very similar, very contrarian that uh, that way. I think to be a trader of that kind, you need to be able to separate yourself from an analyst and being a human being um, because we find these opportunities which just really excite us, right? We can see it happening. We can see, oh, yeah, this is going to downturn. You know, unemployment rate's going to rise. This is a great play. We can jump on this. And then on the other side, you're, you're sitting there thinking, am I a bad person for pulling the trigger on this because this means <laughs> right. you know this means this many people are going to lose their life you know the stats with unemployment rate you said yourself um <sighs> yeah. you start to sit back and you go am i doing the right thing here but i think uh what's really important especially as a trader is to understand you're here to do a job and whether you're on that side of the market or not that market's going to do it and if you can capitalize on that opportunity and, and there's plenty of times where i've sat there and it's it's been a weird guilt feeling I'm sure yeah. you, you've maybe felt the same when um, when Russia went in Ukraine, I, I made some money on gold and that was very strange, right? Because I was sitting there and I was yeah. trading gold and I was looking at the account. I'm like, this is one of the best trades, reactive trades I've ever done. I, I, I reacted instantly. I managed to get in the market. I was trading it uh, to the upside. At the same time, I had the news on, which was showing live footage of bombs raining on Ukraine. And I'm just like, oh, I'm so conflicted on, on what to do here. Have you felt that? horrible weird trader feeling 100 so i one of my biggest goals in life is to always share share the wealth and, and help other people grow in one way shape or form so it is against who i am as a person to profit off of the struggles of others but like you said it's not it, the markets are not so simple as to say we are taking from other people whenever we make money from the markets. I think there's a general misunderstanding, particularly with, you know, with our generation, um, mm -hmm. we've been wronged in many, in many ways. So we oftentimes point to different large corporations or wealthy people like Warren Buffett and say, in order to get their wealth, they're taking from others. Um, but, but the reality of it is, you know, there's in this wealth creation, there's an opportunity to make the world better. Uh, most charitable donations come from the 
highest, wealthiest people in the world in terms of net worth, right? So the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Bill Gates has been worth $100 billion. He was worth 104 this year, but he has been worth $100 billion since 1995. And that number has not gone up very much at all. Why is that? It's because every year he's giving away billions of dollars. Several of the institutions I went to school to for whatever reason, whether that be a seminar or whether that be summer classes, has buildings built by these kinds of people. So in many ways, I do feel a guilt, but I also try to do things to to counteract that. Um, I'm sure you've heard mm. of Traders with a Purpose. You know, I, I do what I can to support their great work. Uh, the whole idea is that we trade, we profit, and then we donate, and we give back to causes that are worthy, whether that be educating people in lower income positions here in the States or getting water to people in the worst possible conditions throughout Southeast Asia and um, and Africa. Whatever that situation is, I think the way that we deal with some of that guilt is we use this money to produce better conditions for others. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there for us to do so. Well said. Well said. So let's let's jump Cheers. back into the story. Uh, you're, you're Warren Please. Buffett. You've told your dad to buy Apple and hopefully he's yeah. still holding that currently. <laughs> uh, oh, that no, he didn't listen to me. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you listen to me. What, I'm 14, man. <laughs> what assets, what asset class did you walk into? How, how were you actually performing your trading? 100%. So day one, I'm trading Forex. I'm trading Forex by way of uh, what's called a binary option. It is the definition of a garbage product. I would not wish it on my worst enemy. Uh, that, for those that, that don't that's know, the binary first option. asset you are exposed to. 100. percent Yes. Yes. Okay. Because you know, here, here in the states, I'm not sure what the rules are in Australia, but you know, we have the pattern day trading rule here. So the pattern day trade rule, for those that don't know, if you want to trade equities, you're welcome to. But unless you have over $25,000 in your account, you cannot buy, sell, and buy again. You cannot do anything more than those three transactions. Meaning, if you're day trading, if you want to do more than one trade, you can do just that one, but you cannot produce more than that one because you would need of full round turn, which is two transactions, a buy and a sell. Because I knew that, and I knew that there was this hot new product this, in this binary option space, I hopped into that. In binary options, you know, it's a it's a product where it's a really great way to go to the casino and pull, you know, just pull the lotto machine and just and just hit it hard. Um, because the the whole idea of the contract is you got five minutes, you got an hour, you got 10 minutes. Is X market going to go up or down and is it going to be over or above your strike price so even if you were to if you were right on direction if for example the market goes really aggressively over where you're at and then pops down for a moment just below your strike price and your option expires well you're out of luck you, you haven't made anything so it, it just it wasn't the greatest place to start especially because i was very good at it for the course of a week so I stuck with it much longer than I should have, but you know it was uh, it, it was definitely a lot of fun. Very very volatile, very very volatile stuff. You woke up that that might not be the the best asset, right? Uh, that might Indeed. not be the best way of trading. Where did you where did you transition to? Yeah, so uh, from there I went towards futures. I, th I thought that futures would be a really interesting product by virtue of the fact that uh, futures are open 
almost every day, uh, almost every day of the week. You know, it starts the futures market opens 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and it closes 4 p.m. on uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sundays and closes 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Fridays. So you have all of that time to potentially trade these products. And they were products that I was very familiar with. You know, it's very familiar with the S&P. I would study it anyways. I was very familiar with oil. I had a car, so I was naturally very interested in the price of oil, right? Um, yeah, so I, I started trading simply futures contracts and trying to get a, a good hold of how the futures market works. How long was the transitionary period to where you started seeing a bit of consistency? How long did it take before you really knew what you were doing through analysis, through strategy, and through execution? So that's that's two part question because like the the first answer is you know about four years, right? So 2020, 2021 was without question the, the best year that I had trading, and um, I think a lot of people might be surprised by that. You, you, you we're usually, and this this is a bad understanding that we have of finances in general, where when you go up, the the line is just like this. The equity curve is at a 45 degree angle. The trend line is at a 45 degree angle for your account. And that's not necessarily the case. There are so many things that play a role, right? So 2021 rolls around and the stars aligned for me. I had gone through one of the most volatile periods of trading in several decades. So I had a better understanding of how to trade very quickly in and out of products. I found the three products that I trade best. I trade the ES, which is the S&P 500, the mm-hmm. NASDAQ, and oil. Those are my best three products. I make the most money on those statistically. Um, so I've been trading those same products for that period of time. And we were still dealing with you know this kind of this, this negative environment where, uh, where shorting was the way to go. Uh, so I, I was able to play things quite well in that space. And then my equity curve all of a sudden started going down, going down quite aggressively. What, what's happening here? Well, there, well, we started taking different precautionary measures. And my equity curve was still great, made money in 2021, but 2022 was a particularly rough year for me. What happens at the end of 2022? Interest rates start changing. The market bottoms in October of 2022. So my strategy that had gotten me so far on the shorting side of things did not any longer work for the extended periods that I had developed them for, meaning that the trades that I would hold for an hour or three to the downside, I could now hold for a minute or three. So I had to change up the whole system on how I was trading. So I started thinking differently about consistency. So for me right now, and I think for most traders that are starting out or trying to change the way that they trade, the consistency is just being able to play the game continuously. It's not losing, like we, we support two incredible prop firms in the Fivers and trade the pool. If you get an account with the Fivers, you're not losing that account only to start it up again every month. You're not gaining an account at Trade the Pool only to lose it again the following month. You want to stay in your account for an extended period, take very conservative trades, and no longer look for those home runs on every trade, but maybe look for a single. Every once in a while, get a double. If you're really lucky that day, you'll get a triple. So I'd say that this consistency in thinking and the consistency in keeping the money that I have and not being so willing to chase after these bigger trades only really happened for me 
towards the end of last year. So towards December of last year, heading into January of this year, did I start really becoming comfortable as a trader? Wow. And the beauty is you're going to give another year's time and you're probably going to be uncomfortable again because that's just trading. <laughs> that's what that's we do. that's just trading. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and that's the we, beauty of it. That's the yeah. beauty of it. We're always changing. If you're not changing, you're dying in this game. That's why I love it. How how's twenty twenty three treating you so far? Um, is it is it more of a day trading? Is it more of a, a swing trading? How are you set up? Sure. So I I have been looking a lot more at swing trading uh, than I have day trading in my positions. One thing that I've I've spoken to with uh, Don about we're going to see. I'm sure that video is always live, already live by the time you guys see this. But we talk a little bit about this idea that you know traders that are often successful for extended periods of time, they do they do more than trading, right? It's one of the reasons why I'm here at Trade Delicious. Um, and, you know, that's it, one of the reasons why I have activities outside of this thing that kind of keep me, that keep me grounded. And so I don't sit in front of a screen for four hours a day anymore, right? So that being said, I've been focused a lot more on day trading during a very tight window. I day trade between 9.30 and 10.30. At 10.30, I shut things off. Uh, if not, then I'm in swing positions, which right now with things being summer trading, with things being quite slow, I haven't found as many opportunities <laughs> as I would like. Uh, but it's but that's the direction that I've been leaning towards. And in terms of the success of things, it's been it's been a really great year. It's been it's been a really great year. That and that doesn't only apply financially. We often always talk about the money as the biggest portion of things. The learning lessons that I've gained this year have been absolutely incredible. And I'm sure it will propel my trading much further down the line than any monetary value would, even though that's, that's certainly nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's got an asterisk point in the uh, in the end of year report. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. Awesome, awesome. So you, you're an avid macroeconomic uh studier shall we say uh, what, what did you say professional nerd right that's your words <laughs> um, i too i too like macroeconomics i find it fascinating to dive into them to understand why people have made the decisions they've made what are, what is their angle uh that just really i love seeing that whether it helps my investing or not nine times out of ten it doesn't um it really doesn't know do you find that you use macro in your day trading it per se more focusing on your day trading? Does it have a play on your strategy or, or your decision making? I wish I could say yes, man. I really do. Because, it, you know, the fundamentals are so important in traditional conditions, let's say. You know, the fundamentals do play a role, but but the reality of it is it, it doesn't really matter. Um, even if, you know, we have a situation where like the CPI just came out this past week, we were expecting 0.3, but we got 0.2 whoop de doo The market had that priced in. It wasn't really a big miss. It wasn't really a big hit. We got some volatility for 0.7 seconds, and then the trend continued. So, you know, I, I would love for fundamentals to play a little bit of a role, but they're they're disconnected from the market right now, and and that and that's okay. Who knows when we'll, when we'll reconnect in some capacity? Um, I, I imagine that. Maybe the interest rate to conversation is a little bit more pertinent uh, when things are a little bit more volatile, when we have less to expect, right? Right now, we're we're seeing more of the same action from 
banks across the globe. So that entire conversation from a fundamental perspective isn't going to do much for the markets. We all have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. We're going to pause or we're going to keep raising. And that's that's just where we're at. When we start lowering rates, whether that be when I say we, I mean banks across the globe, maybe my fundamental analysis will play a bigger a bigger role, helping me to find better opportunities. But right now, it doesn't play a role at all. Okay, so it doesn't play a role in the way you actually execute positions. Does it play a role in how, and and you speak there about uh, connect and disconnect, does it play a role with how in tune you are in the market? Do you find if you're in tune with the fundamentals, you're able to pull the trigger a little bit better or trade with more confidence, or is it the opposite effect? Uh, For me, it, it is definitely a big help. In some ways, it can be... A placebo, but if a placebo works, it's great, right? The market moves for a variety of different reasons, but at the core of it, it moves because buyers are bidding the price up or sellers are bidding the price down. It's an auction at the end of the day. Uh, For me, I feel like the fundamentals help me because I imagine it's likely that I'm thinking along the same lines that say a big bank like Goldman Sachs is, and hopefully we're positioning in the same way. The reality of it is, I don't know, but it does make me more confident in pulling some of these trades to the to the long side or selling oil when I know that we're getting to an area that we don't want the price to see. We don't want to see this price at because OPEC decided to do something crazy. So these these things do help me a little bit in terms of pulling the trigger, but it's um, I don't know how much of that is is me. Just being a little overconfident in my analysis, thinking that you know I work at JP Morgan now and I'm, I'm that guy, or or if maybe maybe I'm along the same lines as these guys because we all have access to the same information, they just get it a little quicker. I know the feeling. Uh, my performance yeah. is definitely better when I'm in tune with what's going fundamentally. Does it have an effect on how I trade? No, <laughs> not even in a little bit, but I carry right. more confidence. It's almost like I've not, yeah. not only do I know the statistical edge I have in, in the strategy that I can trade, but it almost like it, it just fills me with confidence that, as you said, the position is the right way. This is fundamentally the right, whether it is or not, we have no idea. But statistically, over, over a, you know, a period of time, it's, it's proven to, to work out. Let's go back then and and have a look into your technical aspects you've narrowed it yeah. down to three assets right the nasdaq the e-mini and the um oil oil, oil. Right? yeah yeah why 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 those three was it something you'd learned over time familiarized with what why though why only those three assets that that's a great question and i shouldn't say only those three assets i have played around a little bit with equities uh, over this past summer, just because I have found a lot of opportunities in some in a few names. Um, but those three assets are my bread and butter, primarily because I understand the heartbeat of those assets better than any others. And, and what I mean by that is I have a lot of screen time for all three of those assets. Those are all assets that I started trading at a minimum four years ago. So I have a really good feeling for what support and resistance looks like on all three of those charts. The S&P, the E-mini, is the most liquid product that futures that, that, that we have in futures. And so it's a necessity to look at that market. The NASDAQ is a little bit faster than crude oil is the same. They're a little bit faster. Their heartbeat's slightly different, but they're also incredibly liquid. 
So with those three products, I felt like I had a good edge statistically that I could lean on that simply wasn't there in other products. I, I'm not really good at, I'm not really the best at trading gold. I'll look at it and I'll, I'll, I'll trade it other ways, whether that be through an ETF or something, but those are more long-term holdings. Uh, so I don't trade that. I don't, I'm not very good at the Dow. I just don't, for some reason, I don't gel with it. So I don't trade it. And the same is true of the Russell. But so for me, it was just the statistical edge and the understanding of the heartbeat of those markets. Do you see your positions in the E-mini and, and the NASDAQ correlate? Because especially of recent times with, you know, all the magnificent seven, as you say, so yourself, like, right, we're getting fluctuations from these these seven stocks, at least in the E-mini alone, but a couple of those are in the NASDAQ. Uh, do you find that your analysis is very similar uh, between those two assets or is there a big difference? I don't trade those assets personally, day trading. Uh, so do you see a big difference between those two? I can imagine the correlation would be high. There's absolutely a correlation between both of them. You know, we're, we're, we're up quite aggressively in both of those products. Uh, I believe a little over 20% for the S&P and a little over 34% for the NASDAQ right now year to date. Uh, so you're, there's always going to be a, some kind of correlation. The, the strength of it has ebbed and flowed Obviously, you know, the NASDAQ is 14% ahead of the S&P, um, but there's, there's generally speaking a correlation. Usually if I'm long the S&P, I'll be long the NASDAQ in my analysis. Now, the funny thing is that doesn't always play out in my trades. A lot of people that I talk to will think, you know, well, these two products are converging. You know, they're both going up at the same time. I can be up the NASDAQ and up the S&P and probably make money. That's not really the, the case. You know, uh, a lot of these a lot of these products, especially as of late, with the lack of liquidity that we've had due to summer trading across all markets outside of maybe Forex, um, the, the markets have been a lot choppier. So oftentimes my analysis for the S&P will be a little bit smoother. I'll be able to hold my trades for a longer period in the S&P, I found. Whereas in the NASDAQ, that's simply not the case. The, the, the market does this kind of thing, and then it might pick a direction, or it will just continue to range. It, it just It's a cruel mistress, but you got to love her. Okay. Uh, let's run a scenario through your trading yeah. here. You've got a, a Beautiful A plus setup popping up on okay. on the E mini. You've got a beautiful A plus setup popping up on the Nasdaq. How do you attack that same time, right? Uh, how do you manage your exposure, your risk? Do you take both trades as you would, knowing that you've got double exposure to a correlation effect pair, or do you reduce? Like, how do you manage that? I'm not that guy, pal. I, I couldn't. I could not, under any circumstances, have two positions open at the same time. Um, I'm, I'm just unable to, I, I have, I have a really big problem with like my, my attention issues. So I am super excited to just talk about markets. So when I get into the markets in order to keep myself calm, I really, I pay attention to multiple products, but unless I am, if, if I'm actively trading something, I'm actively trading one chart and one chart alone. So how do, would I choose between these two incredible opportunities? Well, it's just how much of an A-plus setup each of them are because very rarely do I get a 100% alert, hey, this is going to be a surefire trade. Uh, unfortunately, they just usually don't exist, right? So <laughs> yeah. what I, you just said, what I fly, look, I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> right. So what I'll look for is I'll see, you know, how well does this converge with my higher time frame, a medium time frame, my lower time frame opportunities on all of these charts. If they're converging in some way between both of them, chances are I would lead more NASDAQ as of late. Um, well, sorry, I would lean more S&P as of late. Under normal conditions, I would lean NASDAQ. Oftentimes, I get, I personally get larger returns from my trades than NASDAQ. I'm more comfortable holding those during normal conditions. Summer conditions are a little, they're a lot choppier. So if it was if it was a trade that was happening tomorrow, being that being Monday, then I would probably just take the S&P setup because things are a little smoother. But I think that plays a big role in what I was talking about before, understanding the heartbeat of those markets and understanding how they've changed over time. In July, the S&P setup is probably the better better thing, all thing, all other things equal. In October, the opportunity is probably in the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ has a tendency to run higher. You can get a 2%, 3%, 4% move in the NASDAQ a lot easier than you can at the S&P because one's trading at, let's say, 4000 for the S&P and the other's trading at, say, 15000 in the NASDAQ. So you can get a lot more in the way of points uh, or ticks in the NASDAQ than you can in the S&P. Now, of course, because of that, it moves quicker. There's a lot, there's a lot to play there. It doesn't work for everybody. But for my strategy in particular, that's where I see the most returns. Let's let's transition here. Where so, where do you see this going? Where do you want trading? What what does the future hold for for Aaron? What what do you want to do with everything that you've learned so far? Everything you're building on? Where's this taking you? Hundred percent. So uh, I'm gonna fangirl here for just a moment. You know, we have this guy on all the time. His name's Don Dawson. Love him to death. And he te- for a large portion of his career, he's he's taught classes, and and really that's where. That's where I see my career going, uh, a continual involvement in the community by way of talking about important events that have happened, talking about books that are striking, interviewing people that I think offer a lot of value to the trading community. Um, And the reality of it is I'll probably stay really in tune and really in touch with trading. But I imagine as I'll get older, I'll I'll trade less and less. I'm I'm seeing that even, even now where the amount of trades that I take in a week is far less than what I would do, you know, <laughs> that I would do a few, uh, a few years ago. So I, I do believe I'll always stay active in the markets. I'm not the type of person that, that says, you know, I want to retire before I'm 30 or anything like that. I, I don't, I think that that's overrated. I think that my career will last I'd get bored. long. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd get bored. You know, I'd, I'd, probably trade into my 90s and and live a life very similar to Don. Funny story, you know, I like I said, a lot of traders are very successful when they have other things going on. I started hitting my success when I was working in a sales role in construction. Um, I was when I started out for many years, I would trade during the night and I would work during the day swinging a hammer. I worked my way into a sales role so I didn't have to swing that hammer anymore. Had a lot of flexibility in my schedule. So I would meet with customers. I was at the time I was building decks and covered porches, that sort of thing. I meet with the customer, amazing guy, big beautiful deck, twenty thousand dollars. I don't know how much that is in, in Australian dollars, but that's a pretty, pretty nice size deck, right? I'm talking to him about what he does. He's retired. He was a speculator for Procter and Gamble, so he would help them hedge their positions in different commodity markets. 
Um, this guy had to be had to be in his 80s because he had a daughter who was about to be 60. And uh, he was fangirling to me about how crazy the oil trade he had was when oil went negative. <laughs> so I, I think... Oh, don't bring this up to me. You're going to give me oh, PTSD. Right. I'm sorry, my friend. I'm sorry. You know, it was, it was a big time. It was a big conversation at the time. I think it had just gone negative like a few days prior. And I, and I have this great conversation with him. And, you know, this is a guy that... You know, he's, he has a beautiful house. He has everything he could ever want, but he still speculates in his own account, really, just to stay busy. And he was excited to talk to me, someone who was a fourth of his age, just about this experience. So I 100% believe that's where that's where I go. I'll, I'll be less involved, maybe. I won't do as much in the way of interviews and such after my 60s, but I'll, I'll definitely stay involved. Beautiful. Yeah, that, that oil trade haunts me forever. I remember sitting at, <laughs> at the desk and I'm looking at it going negative and I'm sitting there going, yeah. surely this comes back, right? I'm like, I should load into this. This is a beautiful opportunity. And I sat there for a yeah. solid 15 minutes reveling on whether the risk was worth it. I didn't pull the trigger. I come back two weeks later and it's back. I was just like, oh, come on. Uh, so that killed what? me. <laughs> You know, a lot of people lost their shirts Shirts doing that, though, man. You know, it, it's really hard um, because the, fu- the fundamentals, right? So fundamentally, oil cannot go negative. It's, it's, a, it's a commodity. It's a thing. It, it, it costs money to, to have it just sitting in storage. It, it's not the type of situation where it's something that can go negative. And yet it did. And we didn't understand how negative it could go. And it kept going for quite some time. So the traders that were really able to be successful were either just straight lucky or they had incredible amounts of experience and or capital to take a couple of losses and finally find that longer term profitable trade. But you can't blame yourself, man. None of us knew what to do. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, there's always another opportunity, right? It's just I love looking always. at that chart going, yep, I literally sat there considering buying that and I didn't pull the trigger. It goes back to that Apple trade with your father. <laughs> so he told you, he told you, you know, pull the trigger. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. As soon as I was 18, I bought as many shares as I could. It was no joke. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Aaron, it, it's been an, an absolute pleasure. For everyone watching at home, where can we find more of you? Where can we learn about these these podcasts you're talking about and, and pick your brain a little bit more? Yeah, so I am very, very lucky and honored to work here at Trade Delicious. So usually I'm producing a few different videos a week. I pop on a live stream every now and again. Um, you know, we have a very active Twitter page at Trade Delicious and my personal uh, Twitter at a Aaron trades at a underscore Aaron, <laughs> uh, you know, and and we're always we're always here to help. You know, I, I think the one thing that's great about Trade Delicious is not only are we here to entertain you guys, but we really want to produce a community of traders that are are doing everything they can to be their best and to grow as traders. So, yeah, fantastic, Aaron. Have a absolute beautiful day, and and thank you so much for coming on Traders of Money. Thank you, sir. Have an excellent one. And for traders, as always, please trade well and trade delicious. We'll see you.